six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the Hello and welcome to WORT's Noontime Community Conversation, a public affair. I'm Bert Zipper, sitting in for Alan Ruff. Today's guest is Matt Rothschild, Executive Director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign for the last seven years, and prior to that, 32 years of the Progressive Magazine here in Madison as editor and publisher. And Matt started out with Ralph Nader at the Multinational Monitor way back, as well as being an avid bird watcher. We're 19 days away from the election day, one of the most pivotal elections in memory, or it seems I should be saying another of the most pivotal elections in history. We've got races for you, a Senate governor, statewide races, and much more. We invite you to join the conversation with Matt Rothschild by calling into 608-256-2001, extension 9, with your questions and queries of Matt Rothschild. But, but first, first, before we start, I want to talk about something that just happened and let you listeners know that the reason Alan Ruff is not here is that his beloved and amazing wife, friend, partner, and comrade, Pat DiBiase, passed away just over a week ago from cancer. Our hearts are with Alan, and our hearts are broken by the loss of Pat. Um, if listeners wish to send letters or cards to Alan, you may do so through WORT here at 118 South Bedford Street, Madison, 53703. Um, Matt, you were a dear friend of, you are a dear friend of Ellen and Pat. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's brutal. Just brutal. And so, yeah, my heart goes out to Al and to, uh, and to Pat's sisters and to, uh, all of Ellen and Pat's friends. You know, Pat was a tremendous, uh, person. Uh, she loved children. She was a great public school teacher in Madison Public Schools. She's a great political activist, absolutely, uh, especially uh, fighting against Act Ten. She was a representative, I think, on the executive board of the South Central Federation of Labor. Absolutely, uh, yep. Uh, she was a peace activist. She was an activist for women's rights. She was just an all-around great person. Um, we would go to Allen and Pat's on the Friday after Thanksgiving every year for a party that was just so much fun. And, uh, you know, she had a, uh, she had lymphoma. She was treated for it with chemo and radiation. She came out of that first bout, uh, you know, about eight months ago doing pretty well. And, and then the, and then the lymphoma came back eight weeks ago and it just went really fast from there and so it's just it's just a tragedy and it strikes so close to home she was a dear friend of mine a dear friend of my wife jeans and had so many friends here in the community personal friends political friends teacher friends so it's huge loss huge huge loss yes yes i'm i'm completely beside myself um so pat pat dibiase Presente. 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 Okay. And now on with the show. Um, so, Matt, the elections are coming up. Um, Wisconsin Democracy Campaign does tremendous work looking at campaign financing issues, corruption, the massive quantities of, of, of money in elections, plus how do we address this with citizens, get overturning Citizens United and things like that. Talk about your thoughts right now with 19 days or so to go until Election Day. Well, we're all being inundated uh, with all this mud that's <laughs> not just water, but mud that's splattering on our screens here from all this dark money and big money and the outside advertisements, the advertisements from the candidates. Um, so thanks for having me on to talk about this and other things, Bert. Um, look, the thing that has stuck out most to me in the last couple months is the grotesque racist nature of the ads against Mandela Barnes. This yes. shouldn't have been lost on anybody. I'm sure it's not lost on you and not lost on most of your listeners, Bert, because this effort to make Mandela Barnes into the most dangerous black man in Wisconsin oh, so. uh, with all these horrible ads about crime, uh, misrepresenting his positions. It, it's just part of the Republican playbook that goes way back to Willie Horton, which is three decades ago. And, it's a terrible indictment of where we are in our society and where we are in Wisconsin that these, not even dog whistles, these megaphone 
of racism can still have their desired effect. This is why people, this is why campaigns buy negative ads because they work. And in Wisconsin, I'm afraid to say this, uh, this kind of ad that hits the patella reflex of white folks in Wisconsin, it's still sadly working. And that's why we've seen Mandela Barnes's numbers go down. Uh, this race isn't over. Mandela Barnes, for anyone who watched those debates, uh, knows that he won both debates hands down. Yep. And so um, I think there may be a little bounce back for Mandela Barnes. And then, of course, turnout is huge, of course. I share the frustration of a lot of people I've been talking with just uh, informally that, you know, I kind of wish that Mandela Barnes is ads were as aggressive as his performance in the debates were i mean his ads making a peanut butter jelly sandwich or delivering pizza boxes to uh, kids in class or even you know shopping in the grocery store i thought he was throwing away throwing away money that he was raising uh because he didn't either rebut the charges that were being hurled against him or make uh, an affirmative case as to what he is actually going to do for people of Wisconsin or make the negative case against Ron Johnson. And there's so much to make there. Uh, and so uh, you can always second guess a campaign, but uh, I've been amazed really at how fast Mandela Barnes dropped in those first couple of Marquette Law School polls. I'm anxious to see where he stands now. Uh, but again, you know, I'm, I'm encouraging everybody to, uh, to vote to uh, make sure you're registered to vote. You can register at the clerk's office at any time. You can register on election day. Same day registration here in Wisconsin still. It may not be forever. Right. It may not may go away soon, but we've got it now, so we should use the rights uh, and freedoms that we have now. Really important to get everybody you know out to the polls. The more people vote, the better it is for democracy. Exactly. Matt, we're getting some clicking uh, with your talk, and we're wondering if it's your headphones. So I'm not sure... If you can check the connection, oh, or... it's just uh, it's just an occasional. Uh, I'll I'll see about uh, okay what's going on here, but okay. I hope you can hear me all right. I we we can hear you. It's just some static, a lot of static behind you. So, so that's Mandela Barnes. Um, oh, we have a caller. Let Let's go to the caller. We can bring you on right now. Welcome to WORT's a public affair. Yeah, I uh, wanted to ask Matthew, uh, I, I call a lot of radio talk shows around the country, and in Wisconsin and Michigan, I try to lean on the uh, fake electors issue, and I find that the average person still knows pretty well zero about the fake electors. So I, if you're responsible for messaging in the political campaigns, I would use that one hard because people are shocked when they think that the electoral college, that fake delegates were going to be sent to the electoral college. And that's if that isn't bad enough, it's who the people were and that they none of them have resigned. None of them have apologized. Some of them are still in positions of power uh, in the Republican Party specifically. Mm -hmm. It's like campaign managers, the treasurer, uh, you know, in, I'm trying to remember which one had a state senator and a state rep uh, that tried to fake their way into the Electoral College. So and, uh, and, and so that is a campaign issue. And the second one, uh, with the anti-abortion crowd, there's going to be a need for new jails. They're going to put these women in prison. And they're going to puff up the crime rate. They're going to puff up the prisons with uh, women that had abortions. So that should be a hell of a campaign issue. Okay, let's go to Matt. Matt, your, your thoughts. Yeah, well, on the abortion issue here in Wisconsin, women won't get jailed, but doctors could. Uh, that's what our law states. And it's outrageous that uh, Tim Michaels is on record as saying he uh, opposes abortion, even in cases of rape and incest. It's a law dating back to uh, 1849 and, uh, you know, years, decades before women even had the right to vote. And, and so, um, you know, I do think Mandela Barnes is making an issue out of this, as he should. Uh, as to the false electors issue, I've been screaming to the high heavens about this one. I know. And 
you know, I'm hoping that Josh Call, if he wins his reelection for attorney general here in Wisconsin, will prosecute the false electors and potentially prosecute Ron Johnson, too, who is prepared to hand off a fake slate of electors from Wisconsin to Vice President Mike Pence just minutes before the start of the Electoral College. And so, uh, you know, the other folks include Bob Spindell. He was a false elector. He's, if you can believe this, still on the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Uh, And then uh, there's also uh, Andrew Hitt, who was the former head of the uh, Wisconsin Republican Party, was one of the false electors. So, uh, you know, there's all that going on. So, so, Matt, it seems like, it seems like candidates like Ron Johnson and Michaels make outrageous statements, and then when when that's not so popular, then they say, "Well, I didn't really mean that." Does that really work? Where suddenly, after months, they they or, or years in Ron Johnson's case, you say, "Oh, didn't mean that. I'm really being moderate." Um, does that work with electors? Hard to know what's what's working and what's not, except for those negative racist ads. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Michaels is proving himself to be, you know, trying to be a slick politician by saying, oh, he's not going to arrest any doctor. Uh, He's not going to stop people from crossing the border. He's not uh, actually uh, opposed to abortion in cases of rape and incest. Or if he's personally opposed, he'd still sign on to the. Uh, the a bill that was introduced in the Senate by Lindsey Graham that would make exceptions for rape and incest. So he's all over the map on this over the last few weeks because he has seen uh, the data, and the data shows that the vast majority uh, of Wisconsinites uh, still believe that a woman has a right to decide whether she should have an abortion or not, period, under the conditions of Roe v. Wade, and something like 85% of Wisconsinites uh, are uh, insistent that a, a woman should be able to have an abortion in cases of rape and incest. So the whole idea of switching your uh, statements almost by the day or hour, um, which is certainly was Trump's um, pattern, um, will get tested in this election. The only way to make them stop is to beat them, right? Yeah, I mean... And how do you how do you convince people? I mean, there's I've been to a lot of messaging seminars over the last couple of years. And one of the smartest people I know, Lisa Lucas, uh, here in Wisconsin, who's a, a messaging expert. Uh, and she says, you know, don't bring a fact to a values fight. I mean, we can't uh, we can't beat people uh, uh, just by saying you're wrong about this or you're an idiot. I would never say that to someone I'm trying to convince. I mean, right. part of the essence of politics is not only getting your base out, but convincing a fraction of the people who are on the other side or who are undecided to come around to your way of thinking. So uh, we don't want to uh, call people names who we're trying to convince. And at the same time, we won't, don't want to say, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Here's a fact that disproves what you're saying. Uh, when uh, actually... Uh, you should have a conversation with that person on values and, you know, yes, I believe in uh, this country or yes, I believe in um, freedom. But what does freedom mean to you? Freedom to me is uh, a woman is able to have uh, uh, the right to decide one of the most difficult decisions in her life by uh, uh, not by listening to what a politician has to say, but by talking to her loved ones or the people she goes to for faith instruction and or making the decision on her own. That's freedom. It's not being forced to deliver a child of uh, that is the spawn of your rapist, God forbid. Yeah. So what was that? What was that quote? Never bring a fact to a values based. Yeah. Never bring a fact to a values fight. It's a great line. It's really important bit of advice because a lot of us think that we can just win an argument by beating someone over the head with facts and that a lot of times we're not changing people's minds about this this goes back to mark twain and george orwell and then more current smart people who understood that people will cling to their belief systems even if you can prove to them that they're false uh if you're attacking them head on Wow. We're listening to Matt Rothschild here on WORT's A Public Affair. Matt Rothschild's Executive Director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, and we invite you to call in and join the conversation at 608-256-2001, extension 9. Matt, I read read one of your articles, 
And you quote Governor Francis McGovern, who actually I've never heard of, Wisconsin Governor Francis McGovern, 111 years ago, 1911, saying the great task of the time is how to make and keep government really representative of the people. That's a great quote. Yeah, and I grabbed that quote uh, out of my book, 12 Ways to Save Democracy in Wisconsin, out of a chapter that I wrote about the need for direct democracy. And and I recovered it uh, and brought it back to the surface after Governor Evers proposed that we have the power of referendum in this state. Uh, He was proposing it specifically uh, on abortion rights, but not exclusively on abortion rights. And I'm a firm believer that we should have direct democracy here, the power of referendum. They have it in Michigan. That's how Michigan got rid of gerrymandering. They have it in Ohio. That's how Ohio got rid of their version of Act 10, because the people didn't want it and the people could overturn it by a majority vote on a referendum if you got enough signatures. So why shouldn't we have that power that they have in Ohio and that they have in Michigan? Why should our wishes, whether it's for medical marijuana, which is in the uh, in the mid 80s in favored percentage, or uh, uh, you know, abortion rights, which is two-thirds in favor of Roe v. Wade, 85% in cases of rape and incest. Why shouldn't we able, be able to get what we want? And when the, the, the vast majority of people aren't getting what they want, Bert, we got a real problem with our democracy. Yes. And, and the reason we're not getting what, we're, uh, what we want is because of money in politics, because of gerrymandering, because of propaganda, uh, because of the anti-democratic uh, setup of the U.S. Senate, uh, the composition of the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, the Electoral College. I mean, we can go on and on. But uh, for those, I mean, I don't think there are many of Wart listeners here who believe that our democracy is working anywhere near the way a democracy is supposed to work or whether actually, in fact, we have a democracy yet. Yeah. Bob McChesney and John Nichols cite some research showing how legislation, with support of big money interests, may become law, but if it doesn't have the support of big money interests and just has overwhelming support of people, it's really typically doomed. So it seems like that battle between money and people is really the epic battle of our time. Yeah, it's been the battle of our time since, you know, fighting Bob LaFala put his finger on it more than 100 years ago. Governor McGovern that we mentioned was a uh, successor to fighting Bob LaFala. And... um, yeah, I and mean, that's what we need to do. We need to fight this problem. We do need to amend the U.S. Constitution to declare once and for all that corporations aren't persons and money isn't speech. Uh, and we need to, uh, you know, rewrite some of the architecture of our our system of government and get rid of the Electoral College, change the way the Senate works, change the way the Supreme Court is constituted, uh, and go from there. Yeah, and you're citing Citizens United, the Supreme Court decision. You you note on your website there's 22 states that have already gone on record supporting the uh, codification that corporations are not people. Is that true? Yeah, and Wisconsin is one of the leaders in this movement, uh, mass movement, to uh, rally popular support for amending the Constitution. We have 167 communities in Wisconsin that are... Uh, already on board, either through a resolution or a referendum, to say that they want to uh, overturn the Citizens United decision by amending the Constitution by saying, you know what, corporations actually aren't people, and money actually isn't speech. We're we're second only to Massachusetts in the number of communities that have signed on to this, and yes, about 20 states have also signed on. So this is a, a great reform that needs to happen uh, here, uh, and I think it's a kind of a 10-year battle, but uh, you know. I'm for 10-year battles. There you go. Hey, let's talk about the money in Wisconsin politics. Um, This is a little dated, perhaps, from a few weeks ago, but your website cites nine groups that have spent more than a million dollars on statewide races. Yeah, the outside groups are just spending a ton of money here uh, in Wisconsin. American uh, Federation, the Koch Brothers Group, Uh, Americans for Prosperity is spending a whole bunch. They're spending, uh, you know, about $4 million against Evers. They're spending uh, about $9 million actually against Mandela Barnes. Uh, You know, it's, we're just, 
I don't know why we should allow these outside groups just to spend unlimited amounts of money. And here in Wisconsin, you know, there was a rewrite of our campaign finance law. So it's not just the Citizens United's decision by the U.S. Supreme Court or the McCutcheon decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, which is in 2014 that tore down aggregate limits. But we could have limits on how much individuals can give to these outside groups or how much individuals can give to political parties. Right now, after the Republicans rewrote our campaign finance law in 2015 and Walker signed the bill, uh, they completely tore down the ceiling on how much individuals could give to political parties. There used to be a $10,000 limit. Now the sky's the limit. Wow. So that super rich people are writing seven-figure checks and they're not even living in, uh, in Wisconsin, some of these folks. Yeah, you got the Florida-based Sunrise in America Foundation, um, some, which I've never heard yeah. of before. Yeah, I mean, and, and the names of these groups are a joke, too. Yeah. I and mean, the names don't tell you uh, anything about what they stand for or who they're for or who they're against. It's like naming the group, you know, Badgers for Cheddar Cheese or Badgers for Eternal Victory or, or you know, it's just, it's absurd. And some of these groups are, uh, they're also dark money groups who don't tell you it precisely vote for this person or don't vote for that person but uh they are telling you to call this person this person up like call governor evers and tell him to stop being such a you know what uh exactly. and that has the same effect as saying don't vote for governor evers but since they're not using those magic words they don't have to disclose who their donors are so we don't know who's paying for the mud that they're throwing at our screens exactly so we are talking with Matt Rothschild right now. He's the executive director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. Um, we are having a fabulous discussion around democracy in Wisconsin, uh, issues of money, corruption, and much more with Matt Rothschild. We invite you here on a Public Affair to call in and join the conversation at 608-256-2001. I believe Matt's going to be switching to a phone uh, coming up here in a moment. And we're going to next talk, and we're going to be switching here. Yeah, I'm here. There we go. Okay. Um, and Rose likes, oh, we just got a, a message from someone named Rose who likes the hamburger ad from Mandela Barnes. Yeah, I don't yeah, know I don't if know I've, know seen, I've the seen the hamburger ad, but, uh, you know, uh, if, if I were running the campaign, and I, do, I don't run campaigns, but... I, I would go after Ron Johnson and stop the kind of cutesy ads that Mandela Barnes has been running. Yeah. It's it's hard when you're in a fight and someone's punching you to, to not defend yourself. Yeah, and I know they were trying to define him for people who didn't know who he was, but I think the better way to define yourself is to say what you're for and how you're going to help people and how the other guy isn't going to help you. And, and there are certainly ways to do that. I mean, part of the problem, I think, is that a lot of the negatives on Ron Johnson were already baked into the cake. Uh, you know, the crazy stuff he did about COVID, his uh, being an accomplice to the January 6th coup even. I think people knew or heard some of that and had already taken it into consideration. But the stuff he said recently, for instance, about Social Security and Medicare, that he wants to put Medicare and Social Security on the chopping block every yes, year. Exactly. I think that is something that Mandela Barnes could, can really tag him with because that that's new. And for anyone who's at retirement age, anyone who has a parent or a grandparent uh, on Social Security and Medicare, you know how important these programs are. And if Ron Johnson really wants to get rid of them or decimate them, that's going to hurt people you love. Exactly. So, Matt, we're going to go to a caller. John, you are on the line with a comment. John, welcome to WORT. Thank you, and uh, thanks, Matt, for all you do. My question is about um, potential dangers of a direct referendum. I seem to remember that California's education system kind of got gutted uh, a couple of decades ago or so um, by just such a thing. Well, sure, and this is the problem of uh, direct democracy. You had uh, 
you know, that proposition in California on property taxes that she couldn't raise property taxes. Or, uh, for instance, the Brexit vote in, in England is another example of where direct democracy went wrong. But I'd rather risk uh, going with the people uh, than having systems like we have now that just uh, muffle and stifle a majority uh, vote, especially a strong majority vote. And so I think it's a, it's certainly a risk. You're right, John, but it's a, a risk that on balance we should take. Do you have a follow-up there, John? Nope. Thanks for the answer. Okay. Thanks for calling, John. Um, Matt, you were talking about the groups that are spending, uh, express advocacy groups spending in Wisconsin. However, those are the only ones that we have figures for. There's all the phony issue ad spending. Can you talk about that? Because I don't think that's even reported, is it? No, we try to find it out because if we see an ad or if we hear about an ad at the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign that is one of these so-called uh, issue advocacy ads, these bogus ads from from groups that uh, are telling you something horrible about a candidate but not using those magic words of vote for or vote against, we will actually contact the stations and see how much they uh, uh they sold that time to that group, so at least we'll know how much that group is spending on the ad, but we won't know who's funding the group. And that's a real problem, and we should be able to know that. So the media companies could deny those ads airtime um, because they're not officially campaign ads, but of course they're not going to do that, right? They could. could. The, the ads that they have to run under the Communications Act of 1935 uh, are the ads from the candidates themselves. And they can't, uh, the radio stations and the TV stations, except on cable, can't censor those ads. That's those been the law of the land for uh, seven, eight decades now, uh, because the fear then was that the broadcasters were going to censor the candidates. They didn't want that to happen. So ironically, it's okay for a candidate to lie on their ads and that the TV stations and the radio stations have no authority to to not run that ad. They have to run the ad even if they know the candidate's lying. I mean, that's crazy. We've got to change that law, too. Uh, but uh, that law does not apply to uh, outside groups. So the question then, if you're a radio station or a TV station, by what yardstick are you excluding some outside groups and not others? And you'd need to have an objective yardstick, or you can't impose your own political bias, probably. So... Uh, and a lot of these, let's be real, a lot of TV stations and radio stations are making money hand over fist right now with these political ads, including the ads from the outside groups. So they have a vested interest in running those ads. Exactly. The power of money in a democracy. Matt, we've got another caller. Thomas is on hold. And Thomas, welcome to WORT's A Public Affair. Yeah, I want to thank you for the program. I know this has been talked about very much regarding what uh, the... Uh, results of the election will be, but my question is kind of in that uh, realm, is what are we prepared to do if we feel the election is not fair? In other words, that uh, not only by the money part of it, but that the vote isn't counted properly, because in my opinion, this is going to be the last fair election we have unless something is done to uh, re, um, to restrain the Republicans from passing all these laws that uh, you can't vote if you don't live here, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'll hang up and listen to your answer, and thank you for the program. Thanks, Thomas. Matt, your thoughts? Good. Yeah, great to hear Tom's voice. Uh, yes. I am very concerned about uh, our democracy. I'm very concerned uh, with efforts to take away our freedom to vote. We've seen Republicans in the legislature pass a raft of bills that would have made voting harder. We've seen the Wisconsin Supreme Court ban drop boxes. We know there's an effort underway to get rid of the uh, Wisconsin Elections Commission. Uh, and Ron Johnson has already told the Republicans in the legislature they should just ignore the Wisconsin Elections Commission and not only administer the elections themselves, but certify the elections themselves. And, and so, uh, you know, if Governor Evers loses, uh, they may uh, destroy the Wisconsin Elections Commission, which they themselves established. 
in 2015. We used to have something called the Government Accountability Board, which was a nonpartisan board, which had a great national reputation. But because the Government government Accountability Board uh, saw that Scott Walker was violating a statute on the books that said if you're a candidate, you can't coordinate with outside groups, and uh, the Government Accountability Board called him out on that and worked with a special prosecutor, uh, Republicans didn't like that, so they got rid of the Government Accountability Board, replaced it with the Wisconsin Election Commission, which isn't a nonpartisan board. It's a bipartisan board with three commissioners appointed by Democrats and three commissioners appointed by Republicans. But now the Republicans don't even like their own creation, and so they wanted to destroy their own creation, uh, and Michaels is on record for doing that. And... So then they'll either replace it with a new institution or they'll give the powers to the legislature, which they control, or or they will hand over the duties of the Wisconsin Elections Commission to the Secretary of State if Doug LaFollette loses to Amy Laudenbach in that race. So that's kind of the big uh, push that they're trying. In the meantime, there are right-wing law firms like Wisconsin Institute of Law and Liberty uh, down in Milwaukee that are filing one lawsuit after another in Waukesha to try to, uh, you know, give clerks the power to throw out absentee ballots on just the most picayune uh, um, excuse. And so my advice right now, first of all, is everyone to register to vote, everyone to vote. If you're voting by absentee ballot, make sure that you, the voter, fill out all the forms correctly and sign your name. And on top of that, make sure that your witness fills out all the blanks on the envelope for the address. Fill out the address completely, and the witness needs to sign his or her name, too. Uh, and then make sure you get in the mail or return it to the clerk's office in time. If you have a choice between voting by absentee or voting in person, my advice is to vote in person because there's going to be a lot of uh, scrutiny over these absentee ballots, and there are Republican folks who are looking for any, any reason to chuck a ballot uh, into the garbage. And if you vote in person, it's going to be much harder for them to do that. Exactly. The election really is about democracy and the continuation of democracy on many levels, isn't it? Well, yeah, this election and the next one. I mean, look how fragile our system of democracy is. Look at what a lie we've been told in seventh grade in high school social studies class about how great our system of checks and balances is. One clinically narcissistic pathological person almost destroyed the whole thing. And if he was smarter, uh, he could have done it on January 6th. I mean, we came that close within a whisker of losing our democracy on January 6th. And Congress right now, even though the January 6th committee has done a, a good job, is not responding to the crisis. They need to take the Insurrection Act off the books because the Insurrection Act gives the president the power to uh, bring the military into our streets. They need to deal with the National Emergencies Act, where a president can declare a national emergency for 30 days and rule by decree. I mean, and if, if Trump uh, had uh, smarter people around him and was uh, able to dance on his own two feet, he would have done those things. And then a democracy would have been gone. I mean, there were people in the Oval Office like Mike Lindell saying you should declare martial law and uh, came close to it. And look. Uh, Trump loves Putin. Putin just declared martial law in the four bogus new provinces of Russia. And I'm sure, you know, Trump is salivating at the prospect of declaring martial law here if he gets in. We are talking with Matt Rothschild, executive director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign here on A Public Affair. And we invite you to join the conversation at 608-256-2001, extension 9. And... We've got about 19 minutes left, so we've got plenty of time for a conversation. Matt, you, on your your organization, and you highlight some positive efforts on your website, Protect the Vote and Gerrymandering, Overturn Citizens United, Uproot Racism, and Provide Economic Justice. Can you talk about that list a little bit? Yeah. You know, I wrote a book called 12 Ways to Save Democracy in Wisconsin, and some of the chapters, uh, some uh, deal with issues we deal with every day, like gerrymandering and money in politics. I mean, the gerrymandering, we've talked a little bit about money in politics, but gerrymandering here in Wisconsin has been grotesque for more than 10 years now. In 2011, the Republicans rigged the district maps and shoved as many 
Democratic-leaning communities into as few districts as possible, so the remaining districts would be more Republican. This went to a, a panel of federal judges who said it was unconstitutional, and then the U.S. Supreme Court took the case, kicked it back to the federal court, and in between then took two cases, one from Maryland where uh, Democrats had rigged the map, and one from North Carolina where Republicans had rigged the map. And gerrymandering, whether it's Republicans doing it here in Wisconsin or, or, or Democrats doing it in other places. So anyway, this was an opportunity for the U.S. Supreme Court once and for all to say hyperpartisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional. Uh, they didn't do that. In a 5-4 to four decision by Chief Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts admitted that hyperpartisan gerrymandering was incompatible with our democracy, with our democratic principles. That's a direct call. And then said this, which isn't a direct quote, go away, don't ever come back, don't knock on any federal courthouse door anymore with your claims of hyperpartisan gerrymandering depriving you of constitutional rights because we don't want to deal with it uh, as the federal judiciary. I mean, this is a terrible abdication of responsibility by the chief justice. You would think that a chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, when he or she says that something is incompatible with our democratic principles would then fix the problem and declare it illegal. But he didn't do that. And so it creates a catch 22 or a chicken and egg problem. He threw it back to the States. Well, if a state is still, uh, has the party that rigged the maps in power and they're probably in power because they rigged the maps. Mm -hmm. How are we going to fix the problem? So that's where we're at here. I don't give up on, this problem of solving gerrymandering in Wisconsin, though, uh, because we have another election coming up next spring. Yes, indeed. For control of the U.S. Supreme Court, because Justice Rogensack is retiring. She's one of the arch conservatives on the state Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court has seven justices. Right now, four are conservative, three are liberal. If Rogensack is replaced by a liberal justice, uh, and if a, a lawsuit is brought again to the Wisconsin Supreme Court saying that gerrymandering is against the Constitution of Wisconsin, which says the will of the people should be the law of the land, uh, and then maybe, you know, we can we can get rid of gerrymandering before 2030, which would be the next time we come up to bat. So. Yeah, the election in April for the Supreme Court is pivotal. It's a 3-3 tie, and we decide which side... Um, Gets a Supreme Court justice in April. Yeah, and then you and then I have other larger issues that you alluded to, Bert, that I deal with uh, in my book. One is overcoming racism. I mean, we've seen in this uh, in these horrible ads against Mandela Barnes that racism uh, is still uh, a, a trick that you can uh, appeal to anytime if you want to attack someone. Uh, and that's just a symptom, though. I mean, you scratch the surface. Uh, uh, in Wisconsin, you can find a lot of racism here. You can see Confederate flags flying in Dane County, uh, or you can see them, you know, I was in Dodge County going to uh, Horicon Marsh to watch birds, and I'm driving around the marsh, and there's a house with an American flag and a Confederate flag on it, which is a bit of cognitive dissonance in itself, but, uh, you know, there you have it. And, and we haven't, as a country, come to grips with this uh, problem that we've had uh, since birth. It's an ugly birthmark. We need to deal with it. Well, and then the question of eco- economic uh, equality, you know, because uh, Teddy Roosevelt said 100 years ago we can't have uh, real political democracy unless we have something approaching economic democracy. And, hey, exactly. we have been approaching economic democracy lately in this country. We've been going in the opposite direction. So those are two big issues. There's a third big issue that I talk about in my book, and that is media reform, which, as you mentioned, John Nichols and Bob McChesney have spent a career talking about or two careers talking about. But there are a lot of places in Wisconsin that don't even have a newspaper anymore. And so we need to do uh, something about that as well. Well, And I was looking at some of the details. Under uprooting racism, you highlight the automatic voter registration and the right for released felons to vote and prison gerrymandering, as well as people in jails, which on any day is probably a 1,000 people in the state of Wisconsin, they have the right to vote, but someone has to go in and help them vote. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, because the ACLU of Wisconsin just came out with a report on this, that there are uh, you know, a little more than 1,000 folks uh, in jail who haven't been sentenced yet, who haven't committed felonies, who have the right to vote, 
and it's really hard in jails across the state of Wisconsin uh, to get those in, uh, inmates uh, a ballot so that they can vote, which is their right to do. So we got to make voting easier in jail. And then you mentioned prisoners. You know, in two states, I bet a lot of your callers don't uh, and listeners don't know this, Bert. In two states, right now, prisoners can vote in Vermont and in Maine. You can vote behind bars. And in a lot of advanced industrial countries, if you're in prison, you have the right to vote. Uh, but here in Wisconsin, you can't vote even if you're outside the prison, even if you've served your time, you've been released from prison, but you're still on paper, you're still on parole or extended supervision. Sometimes that extended supervision can last 5, 10, 15 years. They've served their time, uh, and they're in the community. They're supposed to be uh, acting like good citizens. That's what they're told in prison all the time. So they're released. They're trying to be a good citizen. They don't have the most fundamental right of a citizen. You know, we got to change that. A lot of states uh, in this country allow people to vote as soon as they've done their time. And we should at least do that in Wisconsin, if not joining Maine and Vermont, letting people vote from prison. Absolutely. And when you say when they're released, you're talking about felons. So people in jails are not felons. So therefore, people at the local county jail have all right. those rights technically, but how to use them. Yeah, I mean, and, and there was a decision that uh, that said uh, for people who are delivering their absentee ballot, uh, you've got to deliver it personally to the mail or to the clerk. Well, if you're in jail uh, and you're awaiting trial, how are you supposed to deliver your absentee ballot yourself to the mailbox or to the clerk? Exactly. I mean, and so there are all these... Uh, legal questions and then there are all these institutional administrative problems in depending what jail and what county you're in uh, that are not letting people who have the right to vote to access the ballot this is a fight all these things that I've, uh, you know drop boxes uh, making it more difficult for people with disabilities to vote uh, you know going after the Wisconsin Elections Commission all this stuff is an assault on our freedom to vote, our basic freedom to vote. And we haven't seen anything like this since the Jim Crow days. Uh, and it's rampant right now. we gotta, we got to, uh, you know, elect people who will defend our freedom to vote. Exactly. Hey, Matt, you mentioned prison gerrymandering. And I want you to ex- expand on that. You're talking about districts that have um, excess power of voting because they, they're counting people who can't vote in the prisons, right? Yeah, this is... Uh, a question of representation. Uh, you know, our founders fought a, a war, the war of independence over representation. And what happens now, say you're in Milwaukee and you are arrested and convicted and sent up to Wapang, uh, and, and say that happened in 2019. Well, for the census in 2020, you're counted not as living in Milwaukee, but as living in Wapang, and you're counted as living there for the next 10 years, even though you're getting out of Wapang maybe right now already, and you're going back and you're living in Milwaukee. So Milwaukee is undercounted in the census, underrepresented politically, underfinanced with the resources that come uh, per, uh, per person uh, in, in governmental and uh, contracts and things of that nature. So Wapan's got more representation and more resources than it should, and Milwaukee's got less representation and less resources than it should. So, again, Wisconsin's falling behind here. A lot of states have outlawed prison gerrymandering. They count someone from the community uh, where they were living before they were incarcerated, which makes a lot more sense. Exactly, exactly. You know, in the last few years, I think I'm reasonably smart, but I have to say the things certain powers that be in government have done have shocked me. It's like, it never occurred to me, for example, the DNR uh, board members who just refuse to leave because legislature refuses to act, so therefore, technically it's legal, and the Supreme Court that we have looks the other way and says, yep. Um, are you shocked at some of the stuff that's going on? Well, the chutzpah is pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty repulsive. Uh, that Fred Prane on the Natural Resources Board is still to this day uh, on the board, even though his term expired a year and a half ago. It's just outrageous. Uh, And this is a total lack of respect for the norms and rules of democracy, uh, even if it's not chiseled into law yet. 
and this is how one of the ways democracy just goes down the tubes. You know, there's this great book, How Democracies Die, by two Harvard professors, and they say, you know, when the guardrails are being just tossed aside and when the, the basic norms of democracy are being violated by those who have just disdain for our democracy, that's a real bad sign. Well, we've seen a lot of those real bad signs right here in Wisconsin with these people who are holding on to their jobs, even though their jobs have been expired and, it, and the governor has appointed uh, someone to take their place, and yet they're not going to give up their chair. I mean, that's just an absurd power grab, but we've seen one absurd power grab after another by Republicans here in Wisconsin over the last 11 years. So it seems that there are entities in power in Wisconsin and nationwide who are okay with destroying the public because their power comes from private wealth. Um, I, I'm sort of stunned that at, at the audacity of this, but is it kind of at base that? Uh, it's all about power. Uh, some of these folks know better and want to uh, do it anyway because, well, for instance, look at Robin Voss. I mean, he knows the election wasn't stolen, uh, and yet, and he knows there wasn't widespread fraud, and yet he he said there was at one point just to protect his right flank. So personal power is more important to him than uh, the truth. Or look at Lindsey Graham. Uh, I mean, he knows that what Donald Trump did on January 6th was wrong, but, you know, he goes back and sits on Donald Trump's lap. I mean, same with Kevin McCarthy. I mean, that's outrageous. Then there are people who are true fascist believers, like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, and so it's a combination. You have here uh, an anti-democracy movement in Wisconsin and around the country that consists of people who are Trump cultists, uh, people who are white nationalists, uh, people who are uh, in some irrational world where they deny what happened on uh, in November 2020 with the election, they deny COVID, they deny the facts about the climate catastrophe, or they're in QAnon, which is an absurd universe to fly around in. Uh, and, and so that combination, along with the leadership of the Republican Party that called January 6th legitimate political discourse, you know, we got a problem. And on top of that, you have a right-wing media uh, apparatus that is that feeds these people the lies and propaganda as if on a 24-7 IV drip, and if that's all someone's consuming, that's all they're going to be believing. And that's the crisis of our media today. Exactly. Um, we just have a caller, not on the line. Uh, Willie wonders how many prisoners in Maine and Vermont actually vote. He says he had never heard about this before the show, as you had noted. Um, do you have any idea of the percentage of voters in prisons? No, I don't have the numbers, but it is uh, an interesting fact that they have the freedom to vote in, in Maine and in Vermont, as uh, many uh, prisoners do in many advanced industrialized countries. Not not Wisconsin, though. Yeah, and, you know, it, and it strikes me that years ago in France there was an election that went really badly, and the commentators were saying, well, this is what happens when people don't turn out to vote. We only had 75% of the people voting. And I was like, wow, th th there's... When was the last time we had 75% of the eligible voters voting here um, a long time? Yeah, and you know, Wisconsin used to be number one or number two with Minnesota in the voter turnout. I think we slipped to about number four or number five last time around. But it would be great if we got turnout uh, in, uh, in the high 70s and in the 80s, because the more people turn out, uh, the better it is for democracy, just baseline. And, uh, you know, as Bobby Chesney says, you know, people of uh, the vast majority have progressive ideas. I mean, we want universal health care in most Wisconsinites. We want legalized marijuana. We want abortion rights. We want expanded Medicaid. We want more money for our schools. And yet we're not getting this delivered by the people who get elected because not everybody votes. Exactly. We are talking with Matt Rothschild. And you've got one minute to call in if you have a call at 608-256-2001. Um, so, Matt, tell me about your hope. I mean, you and I have done this kind of work for a long time. Um, what, what keeps you going? What, what, what is it that feeds your soul? What, what is it that keeps the fight going? You know, I, I have hope professionally and personally. I have hope professionally because I work with 
some amazing younger people in the progressive pro-democracy nonprofit sector, whether it's the League of Women Voters or Common Cause or Conservation Voters of Wisconsin or Disability Rights Wisconsin or Voces de la Frontera or Block or the African American Roundtable, you name it. There are a whole bunch of great people in great organizations. Uh, and we're working together, which is another reason for hope. We are coordinating on strategy uh, and uh, trying to respond to events as they come down. We're trying to think uh, in a forward way on uh, strategy and tactics and media and, uh, and mass mobilization, you name it. So that's a good thing. In my personal life, you know, I have great friends, uh, and I love birds and nature, and I'm out every day in the woods uh, looking for birds and cutting firewood. So, you know, I just think we should, we, we can't do this alone. We need to do our, our work, our political work with friends, and then we need to have a life outside of the political work too. And I just hope uh, we can get through this period. There have been other periods that have been real tough in American history. Uh, we're not guaranteed a victory, but if we do nothing, we're guaranteed a defeat. So exactly. uh, I just urge everybody just to keep doing the work uh, and keep the having fun doing the work and having fun in your personal lives. Thanks, Matt. Hey, we've got Ron on the line with a with a 30-second question. Ron, welcome to WRT. Um, I'm looking for uh, 30 seconds, you say. 30 seconds. The bioaccumulation of the toxins in foods and like Cheerios and cereals and everything else that's coming out there. We worked uh, with student projects on the Hope and Beyond Project, and they're focused on these issues for years. What can the Democratic Party do to, to look at the consciousness of feeding the public, raising the prices of all the food, and yet feeding them chemicals that they know bioaccumulative toxins over years accumulating can, can, can cause cancer? Okay, let's pass that on to Matt. Thanks, Ron. So, yeah, I mean, we need to get healthy food accessible, affordable to everybody in this country absolutely. and accessible and affordable in our schools. That's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And, and making sure we vote and, and face down. Evil only goes so far as it's allowed to go until we stop it, right? And it can, democracies can go fast. So uh, we got to support this, defend this democracy or this half democracy right now and then work to make it a, a better democracy and fend off the fascists. Absolutely. So take, take the last minute here and... and what, what what do people need? What do you want to leave people with in the last minute here, Matt? Well, I want to uh, stress that history is a struggle. We never know the outcome of the struggle. It's always a struggle between those who want to hoard the power and the money and the resources against the vast majority of people uh, who want a, a, a better future for themselves and all of us who want equality, want fraternity. We want... Uh, you know, a decent environment. And so who knows what's going to happen in this election? Everybody should vote. We need to try to beat the fascists right now. But we also need to know we're in this for the long haul. And uh, with mass movement and with individual and citizen activism, we can win. That is a beautiful message, Matt. And certainly a lifetime, your lifetime of work you dedicated to that proposition. Um, Likewise to you. Matt, this has been an honor and a pleasure and an inspiration having you here on the show. I want to say thanks. We've, we've been talking with Matt Rothschild of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign here on WORT's A Public Affair. We want to thank you all for listening and supporting WORT. And we are going to be heading off in a few Moments to the BBC News and on to Letters and Politics with Mitch Jezerich right after that. So, Matt, thanks again. And I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll talk to you as soon as we go offline here. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the